happy Tuesday, everyone. Thank you uh, for being here. For those of you that are here again, thank you for those of us, those of you who are joining us online. Uh, I feel like it's been a really long time <laughs> since we've done this. Uh, last time I saw a number of you was Christmas Eve, uh, and then we took a week off. Last week we did live stream only, and so it feels like uh, like a month has gone by, and it's only January 11th. But I hope you had a really uh, great Christmas and great New Year's. Uh, my family and I go really hard in December and during Christmas. It's really, really fun. We really love it. We have a really great time. But then, like, <laughs> this season, uh, winter after Christmas, in January and February, can be really hard. Uh, it's cold. It's dark. All the cool lights are gone from Christmas. Uh, all the mystery and wonder and magic of Christmas is gone. Um, and so I usually... <laughs> I just kind of feel down in January and February. Uh, and this year, it feels particularly, I don't know, strong. Uh, and I know that I'm not alone in, in feeling that way because I've talked to a number of you. It just feels like this year is like, like it feels like January should already be over and it's only the 11th. <laughs> like it just, there's something like, it's just not clicking. I feel empty. I feel fatigued. Uh, I feel like I've run dry as we start this new year. Um, you don't need me to tell you that the past two years have been really hard, and it feels like uh, it was just season after season of just pushing and pushing and pushing, and so now we're at the beginning of a new year, and I usually um, enjoy like kind of laying out the year and, and looking ahead and kind of planning on what we're going to do, and I just like, <laughs> I cannot get there this year. I'm just, I just feel stuck. I feel empty. And so uh, if you're in the same boat with me tonight... Um, I hope that the passage that we're going to look at tonight hits you the same way it did me this week. It was really timely. Uh, we're going to talk about how Jesus invites us to come and see uh, the overabundance of goodness that is extended to us in the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, which is just this tiny little story, but it has something in there for us tonight. John 2, 1 through 11 says this, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby st stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so that, they fill th so that they're filled to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I, at first, was like, I have no idea what to teach about this story. Uh, there's actually, like, tons of really interesting little things and some, like, really big themes, and so it's hard to, like, pick what exactly there is to talk about. But I want to just point out a few things. So we're going to walk through what I just read to you because at face value, you might be like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to take from that story. So if you remember last week, Jesus call, has just gone and found a couple of disciples and called them to follow him. And his invitation was, 
come and see. Come and see what this life looks like. And immediately after that, we have this wedding that Jesus is invited to, Jesus' mom, uh, Mary is invited to, and all of his disciples are also invited to. So they're all at this wedding ceremony. And there's a problem. There's a big problem. The wine is all gone. Now, I don't know uh, how you would feel if you (laughs) were at a wedding where this happened, but in first century uh, Judaism, in that first century culture, running out of wine at a reception, at a wedding reception, was like really shameful. Because basically it exposed your poverty. It showed uh, the poverty of the couple that was hosting this wedding. I actually know a tiny bit what this feels like. This happened at my wedding. Uh, and uh, it's a couple of people's fault. I coordinated my own wedding, which is weird now that I say that out loud. Uh, and uh, I just didn't order enough stuff for people to drink. But our vendor also promised me that what we had was enough. And he and I both underestimated how popular my mother-in-law sangria was going to be. And then, uh, so we had wine, sangria, beer, and then we got this like sweet tea vodka thing, which I don't know, this is like almost 10 years ago. It sounds gross to me now, but okay, it's great. So he promised me like that we would have a lot of this sweet tea vodka and that basically it's just you pour it, you don't have to mix it, you just pour it and go and everything's great. That was like gonna be like a third or a fourth of what we planned for people to drink. He showed up with like this tiny like 12 ounce bottle of sweet tea vodka and was like, here you go. I was like, that is not going to last 150 people. And it did not. So we ran out of um, drinks at my wedding. It kind of sucked. Um, but it wasn't like, it didn't like, no one just assumed that like, wow, Phil and Michaela must be really poor. It was more like, wow, maybe Phil shouldn't coordinate his own wedding. <laughs> um, in our story, not only is it shameful for the couple, but it actually is like a moment of collective shame for everyone that's there at the wedding. Because guests were all expected to bring wine to contribute. So it was like this moment where there's this beautiful celebration and then we all have this realization that collectively we could not scrape together enough wine to celebrate this couple adequately because we're so poor. Mary sees this happening because of course she's watching and noticing what's going on and she has compassion and she knows just what to do. And so then we have this exchange between Mary and Jesus that sounds really weird to us today, but I actually love what is going on here. Mary says, hey, <laughs> hey, uh, they're out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? That, like if I talked to my mom that way, I would have been hit probably. Uh, and for some reason, that's, that's changed between now and then. At this time, it was not derogatory for Jesus to address woman, women as woman. It sounds weird to us now, but it, it was not mean. Uh, but his reply still sounds like really cold if you take it at face value, like why, that's not my problem. And many commentators that I read are like shocked by this. They're like, why is Jesus being so blunt? Why is he putting so much distance between him and Mary? But I, and that confuses me because my whole life that I can remember, every time I've read this, this strikes me as like a really incredible, like lovely, thoroughly human, tender moment between Jesus and his mom. And some of that is because I know that I'm reading my own relationship with my mom into this, but I have always found this exchange between Jesus and his mom to be really playful. 
Like Jesus is partying with his friends. This new group of friends that he has, they're at a wedding where they, they were invited so they all know each other. They're all having a great time. He's being playful. So his mom walks up to him and says, there's no more wine. And he's like, oh yeah? Uh, whose problem is that? Like, I'm not on the clock here, lady. <laughs> and Mary's response to me is everything. She doesn't like push him or prod him or be like, come on, you need to do something. She just kind of ignores what he says and goes right to the servants and just says, do whatever he tells you to do. She has every confidence that Jesus is going to make this right because there's an understanding between Mary and Jesus here. She just tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do because he's about to do something cool. And then in, in the rest of the story, he nonchalantly produces 180 gallons of wine. And not just any wine, like the finest wine that any of them have ever tasted. Why? What on earth is going on here? We read uh, in verse 11, it said at the very end of the story, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. All of this is to show us who he is, who he is, so that we'd believe. He's just invited his disciples to come and see what God is like. And then he, he shows them. <laughs> you want to know what God is like? God's like the guy who shows up to your party, and just as the last drop of wine is poured, you think that you're running dry, and you're embarrassed, and you're ashamed, and it feels like you have nothing left to give. He unveils 180 gallons of the best stuff you've ever had in your life. Why? Because. Because God extends an overabundance of goodness to us. I just, like, I just love that the first thing, this is the very first miracle that Jesus performs publicly. And the very first thing he does is produce 180 gallons, that's like a swimming pool, of the finest wine anyone has ever tasted for a wedding reception. For a party. <laughs> It's not healing. It's not feeding thousands of people. It's not resurrecting. It's not doing anything that anyone needs. But it is such an act of extravagant love and joy. It is an overabundance of goodness because that's who God is. So what? <laughs> so Jesus was really good at making wine. like Really, really good at making wine on the spot. What? Why does all this matter to us? In this book, this, this Gospel of John, he writes about seven different signs or miracles like this that Jesus performs. Seven miraculous acts through which God's glory is revealed so that we, the readers, will believe in him. And people far, far smarter than me, really long time ago, realized and pointed out that these seven signs correspond to the seven days of creation from Genesis. So these seven signs show Jesus continuing the work that God started at the very beginning in Genesis. These signs are, are to us uh, indications that God is still at work in his creation. He didn't merely start things up and then disappear or, or start things up and, and stand back and just watch it all unfold, uh, disengaged. He's not even some kind of like cosmic maintainer of creation. Jesus is showing that God is still actively at work in his creation. 
for our good, for our joy, for our benefit. And that's still true today. God is still actively at work in his creation, still performing signs to reveal himself so that we'll believe, still extending overabundant goodness to us because it's just who he is. He's still changing the water of our lives into the finest of wines. He's still showing up with overabundance just when you think that you've run dry. And so that's, that's good news for me in this season, and I hope it is for you too. Uh, it's good news for all of us who are starting this new year feeling like we're running on fumes. It's good news for us who feel like we're, we're running dry or we're stretched thin or we're just tired. We're uninspired. We have little left to give. To all of us who are weary and broken and just getting by, Jesus says, come and see. Come and experience the overabundant goodness of God. How? Right? How do we experience this? How does this happen in our lives? What, what makes this possible in our story? I think, I, I was talking about this passage with Brandy this afternoon, and she said something to me that like kind of blew my mind. I think everything on this story hinges on this little easy-to-overlook detail. Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells you. And all of this goodness comes about because they do just that, because they listen and they're obedient. They don't know what's about to happen. He just says, fill these huge jugs up with <laughs> 180 gallons of water. And they're like, yeah, sure, we'll do that. Do whatever he tells you. That's a message to us as well. Do whatever he tells you. What's the first thing we see Jesus tell his disciples right before this story? Again, it's just come and see. He says, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Come and see and experience for yourself who God is. Do whatever he tells you. So for the rest of the series, we're going to keep exploring what Jesus tells us, what he wants to show us, what he wants us to come and see so that we can experience firsthand this overabundant goodness of God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for um, fun stories that help us remember that you are good. God, I need reminded, sometimes it feels like hourly, that there is goodness, and not just a little bit to help me get by, but overabundant, extravagant goodness that you are extending to us. God, I pray that that is something that we would all experience as we begin this new year, that we would experience in the season of Epiphany, celebrating you as the light coming into the world. God, I pray that you would reignite our lights so that we can shine in the darkness, so that the darkness does not overcome us. God, we love you. Thank you for being so good to us. Amen.